0: Ornate Stairwells, a movie podcast. I'm joined as always. I'm Autumn. I'm joined as always by Neve.
1: Hi, I'm Neve. And we
0: have a very special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself, Magic Knight Ray Earth?
1: That's not the Magic Knight Ray Earth. It's the Magic Knights. Then then, that is the Machine or the Rim God in English. Engine Ray Earth. Which means Fire God Ray Earth. Because, you know, Rim Gods.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ornate <laughs> Stairwells, a film <laughs> podcast. I am, joined, I am Autumn. I'm joined, as always, by Neve. Hi, I'm Neve, And we have a very special guest with us this time, the rune god, Rayer. Thanks. <laughs> you Rayer, think. did you watch any films this
1: week? No. Well, technically, <laughs> I was building Ray Earth while I watched Running in Madness, Dying in Love.
0: What no. you're what well, you're positing <laughs> the, okay you were building Ray Earth while watching Running in Madness Dying in Love, yes?
1: yeah, but it was just the legs so I assume like consciousness was
0: okay. Because was I, I was gonna say, are you saying that like if a pregnant woman watched a movie, then the baby was watching the movie
1: <laughs> no, I'm not saying that but like, if the head was out like... <laughs> <laughs> like, she's giving birth and the head is out. Although, having seen this in person, once the head's out, the whole thing just comes. It's just, that's the really hard part, is the head. The rest of the body just... Can-
0: <laughs> yeah, did you watch any films this week?
1: Yeah. Um, I watched a shit ton of films that people are claiming is a TV show called Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got to what I thought was the end of it and uh-huh. found out it was the midway point of it and got extremely mad. Uh, I was mad on your behalf. Apparently everybody like knew this, that this was just part one, but they don't say Stranger Things 4 part one when you go to boot it up or in the like main things, you just get to the end and you're like, nothing was resolved. What the fuck? You like revealed the one thing that I kind of figured out halfway through this but it's not that good of a reveal for the end that like hasn't paid off any of the thematic stuff, really. Mm-hmm. Um, other this than is... just like narratively tied multiple plots together. This is how they did... And then... Oh,
0: you go. Sorry. And
1: then it says, coming July 1st, Stranger Things 4, Part 2, and I went, fuck off! <laughs> and then uh, I got really mad about it, and then Emily was like, oh, you didn't know that. I, I thought that you knew that. And then sent me a TikTok where a guy's like, oh, in this interview, one of the directors who did some of the episodes is like, yeah, in the time that it took us to make this, like, new season of Stranger Things, I directed two movies and some of the episodes are longer than, like, those two movies. Which means that there are at least two episodes in the second part that are two hours long? That is longer than most of the B-movies that they're fucking ripping off. (laughs) An um, entire movie with a full plot where stuff gets set up and paid off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much stuff that got set up, and then just nothing happens. Imagine if... I ever. care so little about the whole subplot of trying to get the one guy back from Russia. Fuck all of that. I don't care about any of it. Imagine- Who fucking cares? <laughs> just give me the kids <laughs> fighting a weird monster, and then end it. That's what Stranger Things is supposed to be. Kids fighting a monster and then it's over.
0: (laughs) Imagine if every episode of Stranger Things contained an entire movie's worth of plot so that they were like, like, they were like. Trucking through shit. Like, they were just setting up and paying that, off shit in every that, episode of that
1: this. That would honestly be incredible. Yeah. It would be like, oh, you just really. You know how, like, horror movies mm-hmm. will have, like, they'll go on for, like, 14 movies. Yeah. What if you and did all weird of that? Shit just starts happening, yeah. like, in, like, part three that makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. There's one that, like, people are like, this is completely unrelated to the continuity. They literally just put the name on what, it to sell it. Yeah. Um, what if
0: what if what they did over. 10 years of Friday the 13th movies. They condensed into one
1: season of television. That would be incredible. That's not what this is. Everything is so slow. There's some, like, good moments. Um, I can see why literally every single TikTok that Emily watches right now has a running up that hill playing in the background. It's
0: because it's one of the greatest songs (laughs) ever written. Yeah.
1: Um, And really, like, it shows up at the very beginning to set it up. Then there's like this big climactic moment that involves it. And you're like, Oh yeah. They're like, they're really paying off that setup. Um, it's a great little moment. Uh, one of the best parts of the, the half of a season, I guess. Um, and then they just keep playing that song. And at that point it stops being like, this is a great thematic thing. And it becomes, <laughs> it becomes a commercial <gasps> for that song. it's still a great fucking song (laughs) i've also just been listening to the album hounds of love because it's a good fucking (laughs) song and i got stuck in my head but like it does this is the thing that i was talking to you when we watched the movie earlier Mm -hmm. um the movie that we're
0: pastoral yeah
1: um which is that like honestly this would probably cost more to do but like what would make more sense would be to be like oh, her favorite album is Hounds of Love. You have this big moment with Run It Up That Hill. Makes sense to have it like show up at the very beginning. It makes sense for them to be digging for the tape, finding the tape, and it's the first track, and it's Run Up That Hill. You could also say it's her favorite song on the album or whatever. Like Have all that stuff still pay off. But then in the scenes afterwards where she just keeps listening to the music because it's like grounding her where she can't get attacked by the monster with the, yeah. this is like mild spoilers for stuff that Who happens. Cares? But Who cares? anyway, um, you could just have other songs from that album, mm. which one would just like be great. Cause it's a f- fucking great album. Top to bottom. Mm. And uh, also
0: there's like one stinger in this stinker in there. Yeah. There's that Cloud song I really don't like. Yeah, that
1: song kind of sucks. <laughs> it still, like, fits within the album. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, totally.
1: But anyway, like, most, like, there's a lot of other sounds on the album that fit with kind of aesthetically what's happening in Stranger Things, where it's, like, a little bit, like, spooky. Like, there's a song that is even talks about witches and stuff. Um, it's also, like, got that kind of 80s, like, throwback, a little bit of, like, synth mm-hmm. sounds going on, all mm-hmm. of that. Where, um, I just feel like having that full album become more of the like soundtrack for it would be more impactful in the long run than just continuing to just do running up that hill, which again is a good song, but like, I got it. She likes well, that song.
0: I don't watch Stranger Things, so I guess you could say it doesn't hurt me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, yeah. Tell me about Lave Vampire. The one other thing I'll just say about Stranger Things is I'm currently in this position where I don't really want to, like, watch the second part because I'm just mad about it, but also I'm just like, I've watched all of this so far, I might as well see how they fucking pay stuff off. Badly. Yeah. (laughs) The other thing is that I watch it while I'm at work and it's extremely. Like other movies I'll put on and I'm like, oh, this is like a slow time. There are parts with Stranger Things because it's so slowly paced Mm. and a lot of the writing's not that great, especially when they're trying to be funny. Um, A lot of the jokes are just really bad. I don't know if this is all Stranger Things and I'm just not remembering the bad jokes or if they just really cranked up the bad jokes. Um, But yeah. And so it's like very easy to just kind of have his background noise and I can still follow everything. So it takes forever. But anyway, I, I watched another, uh, long series of movies that might also be a television show. Lay <laughs> here. <laughs> Although notably, I don't like, there's like one or two episodes in it that are, are fairly lengthy where you're like getting up to like movie length in the, the modern sense. Uh-huh. Some of those early ones are like a half hour. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's great. Mm-hmm. It's the other thing that's great about it is uh, if you watch it on Criterion, they let you speed it up. And Levente just comes from a time where, like, it's another series of long movies that's basically a TV show that's also really slowly paced because mm-hmm. uh, it's just old black and white, and it's not like a lot of those old silent films. I feel like are just a little bit slower paced, but also like German Expressionism is just doing so much shit on yeah. the screen, whereas this is, like, a far more realistic mm-hmm. representation. They're doing, like, some special effects to be, like, oh, here are, like, trap doors or whatever. You know, some of that stuff is fun, but, like, a lot of it is literally... The other thing is that it's, like, this very... Um... This is the other reason why it really feels like you're watching, like, proto-television is that it's a lot of, like, very static camera setup that's just pointed at a room that's obviously a set, mm. and it does not move around. Right. It's, like, single camera, and single... It's, like, a double camera... Like the two camera setup for sitcoms, except you literally only have one camera. <laughs> you just take out the other camera. It's not one camera, as in we're moving it all around. Yeah, it's it's like one stationary camera. Yeah, that's just pointed at a room, and the actors are just acting, and sometimes giving you good facial expressions, and most of the time you're just seeing their full body on screen. <laughs> um, and then occasionally there's title cards that will tell you. Although one thing that the Le Vampire does, that's um, fun, is that a lot of stuff is conveyed by like, oh we see them talking, and then it's like gesturing, and it's like, oh we got this letter and then the letter is like giving you dialogue or like giving you information uh. rather than like direct dialogue to like push the story forward or like, Oh here, you know, let me explain. And then it just like shows like, here's the notebook that I got and I'm like puzzling through the, the puzzle that I figured out and here's how I'm doing it. And I'm like showing it on the screen. Right. And so instead of it being like a title card, that's like, come look, I've like figured out the cipher or whatever. You just get him figuring out the cipher. Mm. So that stuff is like works. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the 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 big thing is that, like, this is, like, early spy movie, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really functioning in terms of, like, it's even less mystery and more, like, the plot's just getting convoluted and you're getting, like, lots of different things going on as they're, like, falling deeper into the conspiracy or whatever. Um, all that kind of stuff. Um, rather than like a full mystery, you're trying to puzzle through it with the the main character. It's more like the cypher shows up to introduce you to more information, not to be like a puzzle that will continue throughout. Um, so yeah, it's again, watching it at two, two times speed, my big recommendation, because I think a lot of people will look at *Live Vampire and they're like, wow, that's a really long movie. Mm hmm. And it's a silent film. I don't think I can. Yeah. I don't think I can sit through that. And I'm my big recommendation to anyone is like you should watch it. Go ahead and do two times speed because it's fine. Mm-hmm. Even me, where I have trouble with two times speed, they are not like editing it in a way where that matters, right? To like my brain, and also like old silent films, like will kind of. I feel like they're. Will speed up stuff sometimes, anyways, or like the exact speed that you were playing it back was less important back then. Sometimes, right? Yeah. Um. So there's also that that feature to it, and so like none of that bothered me having it at two two x, which most stuff would just it would completely fuck. I could just could not pay attention. Here, it like helped me pay attention. Yeah. Um. And then if you just approach it like a TV show where you're like, eh, I'll just watch an episode tonight, and I'll watch like two more episodes tomorrow or whatever. Um. I think it's just the way to do it. And then once you do that you're just like oh this is TV. It's so much more manageable to think about this as watching like a TV show than it is yeah watching a really long ass silent film. Yeah. So um the other thing I was watching it I, I think I like kind of tweeted about this. Um but it understands that it's really cool to see someone climb up four stories of building and like go into a window or come out of a window and like climb down the four mm-hmm. stories. Um, however, there none of these people are Jackie Chan. <laughs> and now Jackie Chan exists, and I've seen Jackie Chan do this in faster time than it takes these people to do it at 2x speed. So, um, like, none of it is, like, quite as impressive, but there are moments where I'm just like, that person is just, like, literally walking around on a roof and then, like, climbing down a pipe or something. Yeah. That's kind of fucking nuts. They're doing this in... <laughs> <laughs> In 1915, 16. Um Someone could have died, they wouldn't have cared. <laughs> um <laughs> Labor laws just were not. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah. I think about Jackie Chan a lot when I watch Silent Films because um I feel like he, he has like a great understanding of what makes like Buster Keaton fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um like Buster Keaton just being someone who will do these like honestly ridiculous stunts on film but it's all for a joke mm-hmm. and i feel like jackie chan understands that that sometimes it's like there's just an absolute delight in seeing someone like risk their life for a joke <laughs> 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 and then also for like a genuine stunt but also sometimes it is like that is a stunt that is like being set up to pay off a joke uh, and f- very few other people can like thread that needle in the way that buster keaton could and then jackie chan can
2: Uh um
1: and so in a weird way jackie chan is like my litmus for like silent (laughs) films (laughs) Uh, i watch silent films and i'm like is this as good as watching jackie chan on screen most of the time it's not but when it's buster keaton i'm like okay (laughs) you're giving jackie chan a run for your for his money (laughs) this is what's happening here (laughs) Um. anyway I, for, I forget if I remember there are stairs there's a part where they're like investigating the spooky house and it's great in, in uh, Stranger Things I don't have a reading for it I'm not putting it in the spreadsheet but uh, here uh, one of the kind of special effects stunt shots that they do um, is so there's a part where this guy's supposed to be in a box there are obvious cuts that occur where they like zoom in and clearly at that point he's in the box again uh, so that they can open it and then he pops out. Uh, but there's a part where the box gets like shoved and like goes down just a huge set of stairs. that are just like outside mm-hmm. and it's just tumbling all the way down. <laughs> um, and watching it, you're like, yeah, that guy's not in there. Right. Cause there's cuts happening that still. are hiding it, but it is still a box tumbling down some pretty cool stairs. Um, so, that that was, I think, the best stairwell scene in Le Vampire. That happens in, like, uh, episode three or four, I think. But I gave it a C. Because it's not the best. Like, it's not that thematic. Yeah. But it but was a some. stunt. And this is, like, some very early stunt work, yeah. you know, that's happened in this movie. Um, also, the kid. This is, like, minor spoilers for Le Vampire. But uh, pretty late. In the episodes, they introduce the kid of the like comic relief sidekick character, um, who's like teamed up with the reporter who's the main character of live Vampires, who's investigating the criminal. There's no vampires in this. I haven't said this, but Le Vampires is like a the name of a group of criminals. Right. Not actual vampires. Which this movie would be better if it was actual vampires drinking blood. Um but that kid showed it up and I was like, Oh, they're like trying to you know get some more people in seats with a cute kid Mm -hmm. uh but also that kid was really cute and then there's a part where he suddenly pulls out a gun and (laughs) shoots one of the main (laughs) villains knees out and i was just like this is incredible (laughs) i was not expecting the small child to be back in heat (laughs) (laughs) one of the best parts of the entire series um also musidora's irma vap is great i forgot to mention part of I was, like, kind of thinking about watching Lee Vampire* mm-hmm. for, like, a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. And then you finally read... Moonstone. Moonstone, which is a book that I told you to read, and you, like, bought, and then... Two years ago, probably, at this probably, point. yeah. Uh, at least a year ago. At least. I was living in
0: St. Louis when... The last time I... I was living in St. Louis when I bought the book.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
1: So. Um, but anyway, the... The main character in that who's just like... I'm just going to say the word because I feel like it's just what the book is about. He's just a faggot living on the street. Yeah. Um, and in, like, Iceland during mm-hmm. uh, Spanish flu. Mm-hmm. Like, pandemic hitting Iceland. Um, and one of the things he will do is just, like, disappear into movie theaters. And I think it's, like, his favorite movies. Levin Pierre is his favorite... In the epilogue, it
0: talks about, like, you know, he grew up and started working on movies and <clears throat> um, was working for a lot of, like, very stuffy men who would like the, you know, the epics of D.W. Griffith or whatever, you know? Um, yeah. And this this weird kid who really liked Le Vampire, you know? and the Yeah. Sort of weirder
1: stuff. Um, but then he, he like, has this... He really likes the character of Irma Vap. And then there's a a girl who I would say is dyke coded mm-hmm. in the book. Yes, who he has like a, a fascination sort of fascination with? that feels like the yeah. most appropriate. Um, yeah, like a fascination with her. Mm. Um, I think the way that they they like that, Sion, you know, the the uh, novelist. I think the way that like he handles that is pretty interesting because it at once it is kind of just like this fascination that you have when you encounter like another queer person and especially someone who seems to just be like living a, their life more just like free or doing whatever they want that you can like envision for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is like a certain amount of like the, the very first scene is him giving a guy a blow job and doing it to the rhythm of the like throbbing of her motorcycle. Right. So there's like a certain sexual thing mm-hmm. to it. But I I feel like I appreciate that it, like it works in this way of like just like queer gender is happening yeah with them so. yeah but she's supposed to look like Musadora as Irma Vep oh yeah yeah, yeah. you're right you're right um, at least like in his mind in his mind yeah um but yeah great movie or movies or TV show <laughs> can I tell you about a great movie <laughs> yeah.
0: I watched Black Narcissus. Have you heard of Technicolor? Yeah. That shit rocks. <laughs> <laughs> That's my review of Black Narcissus. Mm-hmm. Technicolor. We're never going to do it better. <laughs> um, For people who are not familiar, Black Narcissus is a 1947 um, film by British directors Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. Um Um, it is about a convent who goes to the, a convent of nuns who goes to this village in the Himalayas, um, basically on a colonizing mission, um, and, um, shit gets real, like, Bronte novel uh, in there as, um, everybody slowly succumbs to madness, um, and um uh in in M's words, kind of a revenge of the Sith a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nora has asked me to explain that and I will not.
1: <laughs> okay. Um do you want me to just like shift this right up for you? No, 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 okay. that's fine. That's fine.
0: Um yeah, magnificent movie. Um Don't really want to give away too much, because it is a little more, like, plot-oriented, I think, of a movie. Um, but also, it's like one of those things where the plot really matters, but the beginning of, we're gonna go on this, we're gonna go on this mission that, like, um like other people have tried to, to set up like missions in this Himalayan village and they've all failed. You kind of know at the start that it's going to fail basically. So like the beginning and the ending don't matter. It's all the beats in between there. So I won't get too in depth. Um, What I will say, um, and this is honestly, most of why I watched it is this film has a reputation of being like, just visually like stunning and, Absolutely holds up. It is one of the most just like visually arresting movies I've ever seen. Um, I, I didn't like look into much production stuff, but I'm ninety nine percent certain that them some bitches are not in the Himalayas. They are on sound stages <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with paintings of the Himalayas. Yeah. Um. Does not matter. It looks incredible. <laughs> Um, I don't know if this is Powell and Pressburger's like first color film but it has this sort of like it's 1947 and so it has this sort of energy of like we get to make movies in color now let's put all the colors on the yeah. screen <laughs> it, has the, it has the you know there's that cliche phrase of like every frame of painting quote unquote but like and that's It's a very silly cliche phrase for many reasons, but that sort of has the energy that they approach this movie with of just like every little scene, even just a totally like normal conversation, like early on before shit starts going bad, but from with the leader of the nuns and like this, like there's this guy, this very rugged, um, like Humphrey Bogart and the African Queen type man who's been living in this Himalayan village for a while and he's a British man and so he like, has a bunch of money that he just sort of throws at the villagers and gets drunk all the time. I don't really know what his deal is. You know, like yeah. <laughs> why he's there other than wanted to get away from British society, kind of unclear. Anyway, totally normal conversation with them and it'll just be like, any other director in human history would just do shot reverse shot, and like these guys are just like, no, we're going all out, balls to the wall. Like we have to like make the most. Like he's gonna be standing next to this stairwell that's like made out of rock, and she's going to be standing in front of these like you know, quote unquote like sacrilegious. Um, like because the the place that they've put the convent is in like an old palace. Um, the, you know, was built long before the English ever showed up. And so there's all sorts of like paintings and carvings and statues of like non-Christian religious figures from that part of the world. And so you'll just see this like amazing shot of her framed against all these, you know, quote unquote, pagan gods, you know, everywhere. And it's just like, you didn't have to go this hard, but you did. And I thank you. (laughs) Um fucking great movie. Holy yeah. shit, it's good. <laughs> um there is like there is like a sequence last last little like really in-depth thing I want to get it get into, I guess. Um is that there is a sequence toward the end as like people are really just starting to lose their mind and you get like shots of like one of the nuns um <clears throat> and she like Um, and you'll get like a shot of her and then it will cut to one of those carvings on the walls and then a shot of her like doing some action and then a cut to like, you know, some distant part of the palace and then a cut to her and then a cut to this that felt so like that felt so much more modern than I thought a movie from 1947 was going to get to. There is like a stiffness to this movie. Um, that I often associate with movies of this period. Yeah. And then, like, there's just this moment where, like, that all falls away, and it's not... the, the It almost reveals the whole movie was not stiff in this way because it needed to be. The movie... Or, 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 the movie was not stiff because, like, oh, that's just what movies were like back then. We created this stiffness, and so that when the chaos shows up, it, it feels like you're watching a movie from the French new wave almost, you know, yeah. it feels like the chaos is like fully formed and how you would like depict that in like modern editing stuff. That is just incredible. Fucking amazing. Um, love this movie. I, okay. I gave it an a plus for stairs Yeah. because I was like, I watched this on my own. I didn't want to give it the S, but it's an S yeah. there's like stairs in every fucking shot. There's stairs everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I like I I right before we recorded Gotham, Em and I are just like chatting for five minutes before we hit record. Um, and they asked, I think like, "What oh, what did you give uh, Black Narcissus for your stairwell?" And I'm like, "Ah, a plus because." Um, I watched it by myself and I didn't want to go go with the full ass. And M was like aghast almost. <laughs> it was like, yeah. that movie is like, <laughs> stairwells the film.
1: <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you just have to give it an ass, even yeah. if we didn't watch it together. <laughs> like, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, we can always watch it for the podcast later and then I can be like, oh, that wasn't an ass, but... You're not going to say that, though. Yeah. You're not. I'm not going to I promise you, you're <laughs> not. <laughs> anyway, um, fantastic movie. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, so another film that I watched, um, I I was joking before we hit record that I think in like three days, I, I technically watched 15 films because like (laughs) like, Le Vampire is technically 10 films. Mm -hmm. Um, that's just, I watched so many movies suddenly. I was just (laughs) like, I'm watching movies now. It comes and it goes. Um, I literally watched four movies in one day like distinct movies. I'm not even counting Le Vampire. Here. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh one of the ones that I watched that day was Running in Madness, Dying in Love, which is a film by Wakamatsu Koji, um, who mm-hmm. is primarily known for his pink films. Um, which are you familiar with pink films?
0: Yeah, uh, I think you've talked to me about it before, yeah. but I'm not really familiar.
1: They're they're like I would like classify them as kind of a a style of like sexploitation movies from Japan. Um, A lot of them are like very low budget. Um, Kind of the main point of it is to see depictions of sex on screen. Um, But then there is also kind of this, and he's one of the big ones who is like cited as doing this. Because it is kind of dealing with already just the taboo of depicting sex on screen. Sometimes it, Will get into more like politics that would be harder to talk about sometimes in other movies, because oh. this is just a movie where you you'll to some degree like to you know that the people going here are people who are not gonna be so uptight that they are gonna be like balking at sex on screen, and so you can just talk about other societal issues um in a way that might be harder to get away with in like other studio films mm-hmm. um and he in particular. And um, I for, I was trying to look it up, but this is a, a like lesser known film of his. He made a lot of movies. Mm. Um, it says like on the the because I was trying to find on the Wikipedia page if this was one, but it says like between 1963 and 1965 he directed 20 exploitation films. Um, and at uh. a certain point he just started <sighs> like self funding and releasing films because he made some from the studio and a lot of these are. Pretty low budget to make mm-hmm. anyway, because you mostly just need to get a few actors on screen and a space for them to like fuck, fuck and then also like have some acting around mm-hmm. it and some other scenes. But like, I'm just, I'm just thinking now, it's that, very low budget, digging to that bit and Blowout where they're like,
0: All right, so we started together <laughs> on like it's one of our favorite cool killer one or whatever
1: <laughs> the fuck it was called. <laughs> um, <laughs> But anyway, so the, honestly, the most happens in this movie in literally the first, like, seven minutes, which is, you see a bunch of depictions of riots. I think a lot of them are actual documentary footage of riots that were happening around the time. This movie's from 1969. Um, I didn't know if it was from a very specific famous riot at the time or something. Again, it's hard to find information about this film because it's one of its, like, lesser known ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, the, I would say, like, the main character in this movie is at the riots, rioting against the police, and gets injured. Uh, you don't see much of the depiction of that, but you see him then running away from everything happening, and he's trying to hide out. Um, and then... This is kind of a strange decision, given the uh, his brother's job, but he does go to his brother's house, which is presumably nearby. I mean, I guess... Brother is somebody that you would know mm-hmm. and would open up the door to you. Uh but he goes into his brother's house and his brother is a police officer mm-hmm. who is not you know, working the riots, but uh is a police officer um and starts like beating up the main character, being like, Oh, you know, blah 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 basically just a bunch of like, oh you you like no good activist mm-hmm. out there, blah blah blah, you know. Don't she, like, respect society? Just some real cop bullshit. Um, And then the cop's wife shoots him in the back uh, with his gun. Um, Him being the cop. The cop's wife shoots shoots the cop. Uh, Shoots the cop. Shoots the cop. Shoots the cop. (laughs) Um, And they're like, well, fuck. We killed him. Mm -hmm. She's, like, freaking out like I killed him. And he's like, no, we killed him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then they go on the run. Mm -hmm. That's all the first seven minutes. Um, oh shit. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then what, what happens afterwards gets like significantly slower cinema. Uh Um, where there's a lot of like them in various spaces. Um, Talking about their like feelings and the like guilt that they have, all that. Um she the main stairwell in this is when they're they're gonna get on the train. He's like, okay, here's the plan. I have the alibi of I was at the riots. Mm. Um You right now get on a train, go here to like you know, this on vacation basically. And then after a few days come back you'll find the body call the police then be like oh i was on vacation blah 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 they like did something where they're trying to like maybe make it look like a suicide anyway uh like i think they like leave a like suicide note or something Uh, i forget there's a there's a Mm. few things that they do um and he's like you know just go and then come back and it'll be fine um and then she's like i killed my husband he was like really shitty to me, but I killed my husband. Uh, what I need to do is I just need to like die. Cause that's what a wife should do. Um, after this happens. And so she's going to throw herself on the train tracks when he like runs up, he realizes what's happening. He's on like the, going a different direction and then runs through the station and goes up the stairs to go save her mm. and like stop her from, from doing that. And then they end up going together like, okay, I'm gonna like stick with you because I, I don't want you to like off yourself. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um and then they're having all the like they're having multiple conversations around like Gil, who who is guilty? Was it an accident? Did we do this on purpose? Mm-hmm. Um you know, him being like, no, like I'm an activist. I'm like fighting against this stuff. Like, this is actually like a political thing that we've done that is like you know an important action and he was like terrible and mean and cruel to you um and you know just like a a shitty cop Mm -hmm. um who like deserves to die Mm -hmm. um throughout the process of all this conversation they they start fucking yeah um so there's multiple lengthy sex scenes. Um, although at this point, I think in his career, he was also notable for like becoming less and less interested in the actual sex scenes. And so there are parts where they're just like interlayering the sex scenes with other things happening. Um, <laughs> Cause he's just clearly more interested in the other stuff. Um, but yeah, it just becomes this like meditation on those things. They encounter some like scenarios, like the little small village that they go to, um, has some, like, archaic, you know, village law of, like, if there's, like, adultery that happens, then, like, every man, like, beats the woman with the, like, crop or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, like, seven times, every man in the village. And then the man has to be, like, tied to a tree for so many days and can't, like, be given food or water mm-hmm. or whatever. And then they're talking about, you know, this, like, we have to, like, break free from this, like, these traditions that are terrible to people... That like don't allow actual expression of love that like, you know, perpetrate like these abuses against women, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as it's going on and they're getting more and more involved into their guilt, they start thinking that they see the brother um, and then there's a part where they finally go back they get off the train to like go back home and like find the body and the brother's just there and he's alive and it's not explained how he's alive. He doesn't seem to be hurt. It's not like he has like bandages or anything. Right, yeah. Um, and he just like hits her and is like, we're going home basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she just goes home with him and it's really sad. Um, well, thank you for the yeah. Nia or Veronica check in. <laughs> um, yeah. It was great,
0: though. I mean... We need a name for this segment. Yeah. For the Neve... Neve... Neve erotica. No.
1: We'll workshop one. Yeah. (laughs) We're not doing it live on the podcast. It'll it'll be bad audio. (laughs) No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, But no, it was great. I recommend it. It's on Rare Film M. People can find it there. Um, And it's just... It's one of these... It's one of these, like erotica films that are mostly just about like politics and how horrible society treats women. Um, and also (laughs) extremely fuck the cops. Uh, It's one of the most fuck the cops Japanese movies I've ever seen. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I gave a C plus to the stair, the stair scene going up in the, there's not otherwise not a lot of stairs. There's a lot of snow, some good snow shots. Um, I'm going to talk about Star Wars <laughs> Alright, so You don't even watch It was like 45 minutes, right? Or did you no. watch all of it And no. Nora
0: didn't No, I don't remember how much we watched I feel like we watched most of it And Nora was like we watched like 45 minutes of it Anyway um, So Nora and I Have been watching the Obi-Wan Kenobi Disney Plus television show and I hate how I'm a hater. <laughs> I wanted so badly. I was like, I'm so down on so much of the Disney Plus stuff and the Marvel stuff and the Star Wars stuff. I'm like, I, but they've got and McGregor back. I'm going to like this one. And I hate it. I hate it. Nora and I are probably going to end up doing a podcast when that show wraps up. Um in a couple days, um, so I won't get too much in-depth to it here. I've also tweeted about it on main sum, and so people can go, like, looking around. Um, <clears throat> but, so we watched this dreadful fucking show, this awful fucking show. We watched episode five, there's gonna be six episodes, and um, then we put on Star Wars episode 3 Revenge of the Sith. Um and here's the thing about Star Wars episode 3 Revenge of the Sith is that in, like in some ways it invented modern cinema. <laughs> there was so much press at the time about how that movie is 70% CG, you know, everything is in it in it is fake. Everything in it looks fake, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. for for when how long ago was 1977 45 years
1: i don't that was like uh 20 years ago <laughs> 87, 97,
0: 07, 2017 45 years for 45 years everybody including actors on the set have given george lucas shit for being really bad at writing dialogue rightfully so
1: I think, Are George... you going to do the
0: line? There are so many lines I could do.
1: Yeah, but the bad writing line.
0: Oh! <laughs> we <laughs> we can't turn back now. <laughs> <laughs> the defenses there can't be that much greater than what's on Aquali or Solist, <laughs> And what is there is going to be geared toward a large-scale assault.
1: <laughs> this is just funny to me, because I know that you haven't listened to the latest Bag End. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you I, I, you had it, you had it. <laughs> confirmed, confirmed. A, confirmed. This is one that that Autumn has just off the dome. The Nora does not. Confirmed. It's an old
0: code server. It checks out.
1: <laughs> that also. That's how they get into all of this on backend. Is that one? Um. Anyway. <laughs>
0: I should really listen to back end. I don't yeah. I, I read those chapters of Silmarillion two or three times and didn't internalize them. I'm really lucky I went down for a nap <laughs> right around the time <laughs> of we recorded recording, because I would have had fucking nothing to say. <coughs> anyway, um we do not give George Lucas enough credit as a as an innovator, a, as an artist, as a writer of dialogue. <laughs> um because it turns out that all the things I complain about in in modern movies and television shows. Revenge of the Sith does that. It's got the terrible quips. It's got the um, like everything is CG and looks CG and looks bad. And it turns out that like George Lucas just like has a better eye for this. Than ninety nine percent of the people who make movies after him, <laughs> it turns out. It turns out that just watching a million Kurosawa movies and stealing shots from all those movies, yeah, does make everything just more visually interesting and alive than. <coughs> I don't know. Put the camera over there. All right, go stand there. All right, go stand there. You know. Yeah. <laughs> like it helps that like. You know I think he he storyboards and he makes concept art of this room and so like even when you know you get like um this whole room is CG like he knows what that room looks like because it's been drawn out so much and so he can like sort of be like and this is going to tie into my stairwell ranking oh I'm gonna have the I'm gonna have this like room on the ship where we're gonna have Palpatine tied up. And there's gonna be the you enter, and then there's two parallel staircases that come down. And I'm gonna put Count Dooku at the top, and he's gonna I'm gonna put the camera real low, and he's gonna front flip over the handrail. <laughs> um, yeah. um <clears throat> yeah, I just think it looks. I think it just looks and sounds better than every movie that has tried to rip it off in the. Um, it's been 17 years since Revenge of the Sith came out.
1: <laughs> yeah. I watched that movie on a date with my wife, who I've been married to for tons of years. <laughs> Let me see. We're coming up on 12. I remember renting Lego Star
0: Wars from Blockbuster. And... And like seeing little bits and pieces of Revenge of the Sith before I got to see the actual movie because that game came out before the movie did. Mm. I had the Revenge of the Sith video game, I had Star Wars Battlefront 2.
1: I was just at such a different time in my life when Re- Revenge of the Sith came out. Um, I was just in high school making out with my girlfriend. I was nine, <laughs> <laughs> I was playing video games, yeah. Um, no, I, like, one of the things when I watch those prequel movies now, and especially as it goes on, mm-hmm. like, the, the second and the third one, you feel so much more. I also get this when I watch the Lord of the Rings movies, is seeing it and being like, oh, this is where modern mm-hmm. movies came from. Mm-hmm. This is where, like, the MCU comes from. Yeah, absolutely. But the difference is... I think genuinely the big key difference is what you were kind of getting at, which is that like it is still set up where like there's a clear sense of like, okay, here are like the people maybe, you know, Mm -hmm. not doing the full out here, like necessarily the one director, but I think especially in the case of star Wars, like George Lucas has given a lot of leeway, Mm -hmm. especially at that point to just do whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah. Um, the Lord of the Rings movies, there might be a little bit more, but there's still, like, a sense of, like, there is a team of people who are, like, making the movie. Yeah. That are making decisions about what this movie is going to be. Yeah. like this, And that just the... results in a better product than the Marvel thing where it's, like, get the shot. We don't even know what the background is going to look like yet because some exec is going to decide what they want it to be. Also, no whatever. one cares, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah.
0: No one cares what that mountain looks like, you yeah.
1: know? Well, and they've also reached a point where just everything is CG. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like back then, they still had to at least do costumes, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> now uh, like
0: most of the true. superhero
1: outfits aren't even fucking things that people are wearing anymore. Yeah, it's that's just true. all CG'd in. I hadn't even thought about that. Like you, at least you had to like fucking design what the the Jedi robes looked like. I remember somebody had to make those and put them on Mace window or whatever. I remember when I was very young.
0: Um, there was some just like Cartoon Network movie that came out that had like, um, it was, it, it, it was sort of a Roger Rabbit sort of thing where there's like, why li- it was mostly a live action movie, but there were cartoon characters. I think it was like, oh, this kid had imaginary friends that were cartoon characters or something like that, you know? Yeah. Anyway. And I remember Cartoon Network running this like promo bit or whatever about like, oh, what's it like having to like act what's it like having to do your lines into, like, empty space where there's going to be a cartoon later, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I, I remember this bit, just it's like random little thing that gets lodged in my memory sometimes. And it it's so funny to think, like, that was a question worth asking in 2005, let's say. Yeah. Because now that's what acting is. Yeah. <laughs> you just... <laughs> You just say your line into empty space, and someone else will fill it in later.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, there's so. But also, much... you watch like *Revenge of the Sith*, and it is still just like, "Well, shit, this is modern movies." Yeah, um, it's so much better though. Yeah, it's just it's like such a a mixed feeling for me now because mm-hmm. I one I think I'm warmer on a lot of the prequels than I was when I watched them f- for the first time. Mm. And some of that was that I was just like a Star Wars fan. Yeah. Um, This is the thing. Uh, this is like, I think a while ago, but where Nora was surprised that I like Star Wars. <laughs> um, and I was like, some of it is that it's just a generational thing. Uh-huh. It's just like, I was watching like my Star Wars is like ice planet Hoth. Mm-hmm. And that was just my. That's all that existed mm-hmm. for the huge period of me being a kid. Where you were like in Star were Wars. Where you, were you as a kid, are like able to be obsessive about things in ways that don't even come like that? Me being not a brain now does not come close to mm-hmm. the way that you could just yeah. be about something yes. as a kid. Like you could own three I... different
0: video games that came out in one summer,
1: all about Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> um, and so. And that was just, like, my world was just, Star Wars was just those three movies. Mm-hmm. And then all the books and all the, mm-hmm. you know, toys and shit. But it was all just sprouting out of those three movies. Um And when the prequels came, it just, like, shifted what Star Wars was in a way where there was, like, multiple paths in front of you. One was, like, maybe you fully embrace it, but that was the hardest for... A lot of people, because this was just new. It was something else. Um, And was also, like, clearly geared towards, like, kids who are watching it that are, like, of your generation. Mm -hmm. Especially that first movie is, like, for children in the way that I just was not anymore when Mm -hmm. I was watching it. Um, And so I think that's some of it. And then you you either have to be the person who's going to be the, like, shit old head who's just like, oh, Star Wars, fuck with the prequels, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I care way too much about how Han shot first. <laughs> Not even in, like, a slightly <laughs> jokey way, but, like, this is something I'm extremely pissed off about and hate <laughs> about the, like, remake, you know. Yeah. Um... Or you just do what I do, which is that you're just like, oh, I still have like affection for this, but it's just, it's not mine anymore. Yeah. Like it belongs to other people now, and that's fine.
0: Disney Star Wars is like maybe getting me to that place now. (laughs) Disney Star Wars being so bad is like, I guess I just have this part of Star Wars that I care about, and they're just never gonna make more of it, so I guess I just have to let go.
1: Yeah, you just have to like decide that it's not, Mm -hmm. it is not, it's for someone else now, and that's okay. You still have the parts of that you like. You still sometimes engage in the other parts. Um, And I think I've just reached a point where I think, uh, like, Austin Walker is more this than me. Like, I'm a little bit more tuned out. But sometimes I still just watch Star Wars and I'm just like, yeah, Star Wars. Like, Mm -hmm. I've, like, ceased caring about Star Wars in this way where I can be hurt by it.
0: Mm -hmm. I can still be hurt by Star Wars. Yeah. And I will be, but on Wednesday. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I'm just, I'm no longer hurt by it, and Uh so I can sometimes just kind of watch the thing and be like, oh yeah, that was stupid, or like, oh, I liked that part. I just, I can't believe we're complaining about
0: Disney shit again. (laughs) How did this happen?
1: We're smarter than this. The African Queen. (laughs) You gave an A to the stairs in Revenge of the Sith.
0: Yeah, Count Dooku is standing between those two sets of stairs and then front flips Mm -hmm. over
1: them. It's fucking great. (laughs) Um, before we get into the African queen, I'm, I'm going to quick do an aside and say, sorry that there's probably going to be some costs in this. Um, I don't think I, I think this was new developments. So
0: welcome back to our other recurring segment,
1: the Nia know. asthma update. <laughs> so I, there's this inhaler that works for my asthma. There's a daily inhaler. Cause I have like a cough variant mm-hmm. one, which means that I don't really need a rescue inhaler that often. What I need is something that just like helps me daily. Uh, and it's like a steroidal thing. And so my doctor gave me the sample of Dulera and it worked for me. Um, and then my insurance was like, no, it's $800 an inhaler. We're not giving that to you. That's mm-hmm. like $800 a, a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had to go through multiple prior authorization things. And at the very beginning, before we did any of the prior authorization, my doctor was like, like, call them up, ask them if there are alternatives that they want us to try. And I called them up, and they are like, no, there's no alternatives. There's, like, n- nothing else that we want you to do. There's no other thing that we would suggest. There's nothing else that can be prescribed. Like, you can't do any of it. Um and then we jumped through all the hoops, and they're like, uh, eh, before we approve it, we need you to try these three alternatives. So I'm on the first one, um and... I mean, it's helping, mm-hmm. but I'm still coughing. Yeah. So sorry about the coughs. Yeah. This is the, the long and short of this, and I will probably continue until one of those alternatives works, or they just give me fucking dulera. Yeah. Uh, which either is, I go through all of them, or uh, it's going in generic in like a month and a half, and they're going to stop caring.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um. So, The African Queen. Um, we both watched this movie because they're going to cover it on repertory screenings.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, they have at this point, but... Yes, I guess they did. Um, I was listening to the very... Not the part where they were talking about the American Queen, but the very beginning of it.
0: Oh, is the episode out? Awesome. Yep. Okay, cool. Um, I was a little bit out of it today. Um, anyway, so... We both watched this movie for repertory screenings, um, and so I don't know how much in-depth we want to get on it, but... Um, uh, I was really fucking taken with this movie, I guess yeah. is what I'll say.
1: I think my feelings on it was um, if this wasn't just two fucking incredible actors who were at the top of their game and just doing some great acting on screen,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'd be like, this is a miserable
0: movie. <laughs> <laughs> I... Um...
1: Cause the plot, I care so little about. <laughs> the whole like, let's go in this little dinky ass boat to go launch a torpedo at a German warship. Uh-huh. It's like I fuck the Germans, but like it's so. Funny. I say this as someone who like has German heritage, but like at this point in time, fuck the Germans. Um, it's so funny. Extremely fuck the Germans. because but, it's, it's World War One. Yeah,
0: but they play it as if they're blowing up the oh, Nazis. Yeah. They do. <laughs> Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, I was really taken with this movie. I would say everything you just said is correct. That if it wasn't for these two actors, just like firing on all cylinders, this movie would suck. Yeah. But, um, it turns I, out that's all you need. <laughs> if I stop
1: and think about the plot, I don't like this movie. This is what I'm saying. Like, if I think about like the movie itself, mm. but in the moment to moment of just watching these people act, I'm just like, hell Yeah. This is good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I feel a little warmer on it than that. I do feel like, ah, I'm like, this is a okay movie. Like a, like a two or three out of five elevated to a four out of five by great acting. Yeah. For me. Whereas I'm like, to, to where I'm just kind of warm on the whole thing. Also, I just found it really interesting. Um, sorry. I'm like this, uh, but, um, I was watching this because, um, I was watching this because of repertory screenings, but also I know that John Huston is a huge influence on Vim Vendors. Um, and it was, this movie was a influence on Paris, Texas.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and so I definitely was watching this movie like, ah, I see. Cause it's kind of, it's, it's kind of a road movie a yeah. little bit. It's kind of just a road I get, movie.
1: I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. A lot more a lot more What sim- is a river if not a road for boats?
0: <laughs> it's a road for hippos.
1: And yeah, hippos
0: <laughs> and crocodiles. Um but yeah, we're not going to do like plot summary. Um oh, just a quick uh s- circling back to Black Narcissus a little bit. Um I've been I've been aware of this movie for a very long time just because like I like Humphrey Bogart, you know, yeah. Um, this is like one of his classics or whatever. Um, So I've been aware of this movie for a long time. Hadn't seen it. Thought it was in black and white. And so with a, when you turn on the movie and the very first thing you see is presented in technicolor and you're like, Oh my God. (laughs) And then you start watching the movie and you're like, this movie came out in 1952. It's shot in color. And they're on location? <laughs>
1: well. Mostly? <laughs> I think a lot of this, the actual stuff is stage, but... I think a lot of the stuff on the boat, but there is... Yeah, but most of it's on the boat. <laughs> I... But they had to get the B-roll there... from somewhere. <laughs> but when they go inside the building or the church, the church at the very beginning where everybody's singing mm-hmm. might be on location. Mm-hmm. I think it is. But later on, I think there's there's stuff that's happening on a set. Mm-hmm. They go into a set. Yeah, for sure. There's a part where they it's not even far away, but there is like a little bit of fire happening. Uh huh. And they're just yeah. that's just rear projected or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: I'm saying that it, even if a ton of it is on a sound stage, like. They had to get the rear projection footage from somewhere.
1: <laughs> yeah. They went and shot in Technicolor to get the, like, at least all the rear projection stuff.
0: Yeah, which is just crazy to think about yeah. in 1952. <laughs>
1: um, I, want the, I want the Werder Herzog documentary about John Houston making this movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, and a lot of the stuff where it's, like, far away mm-hmm. seems to have been on location, but I think there are times where they cut to we've replicated a little bit of what you saw in the back in a sound stage uh-huh. or like we are doing a like rear projection here and we have like a boat on a sound stage or whatever. Mm-hmm. Some of that too is just like, especially on that little boat, you could not get cameras. No, absolutely on not. On there. Absolutely so.
0: not. Oh, also, um, Another just like little aesthetic thing. I tweeted this unlocked and I wanted to say it on the podcast. Um It's really fucking funny that that there's a ton of close-ups of Catherine Hepburn that do the soft focus thing that like we've talked about with like mm-hmm. with the third man, for example. Does not work in color. Yeah. It does not fucking work <laughs> in color. <laughs> and it's really fucking funny. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um one of the other, there are like numerous special effects, and some of them are are kind of low end uh-huh. uh, at times. The one that I laughed the most at was the way that they handle all the bugs. So <laughs> like <going> to the <laughs> the bugs are so fucking funny. <laughs> it was just ridiculous.
0: It's just little black lines on the screen. Yeah, and also, and then the way that like. Humphrey Burger like, pushes the boat out away from the swarm of bugs, and, and they, they just, just fade away. <laughs> it's yeah. not like the cloud of mosquitoes flies somewhere else. They just yeah, fade. It's not
1: like they, like, <laughs> did it where there's, like, almost like a line. Like, I could see a way that you could even edit it, where you were, like, taking parts of whatever you're, like, overlaying on it, and just kind of, like, you know, almost like doing a side, like, swipe. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, but no, they just they just faded out. It's <laughs> so fucking funny. They just, like, <laughs> it's especially funny because if you did, like, a, you know, movement thing, there would mm-hmm. be a little bit more of a sense of, like, oh, like, we're moving away from them. But this is just, like, they just kind of, like, dissipate. Like, you've gotten too far away from the source, <laughs> and so they just, like, fade out of existence. It's, yeah. Um, I laughed pretty hard at that.
0: The other thing that made me laugh a lot that is just, like... Only a movie from 1952 um, is, like, Humphrey Bogart, like, grabs a bottle of gin at one point, and the, like, violin shrieks that happen.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And it, like, shows her face, and it's just, like... (gasps) It's, like, the kind of, like, musical score moment of, like, someone's hurting an animal on screen or something. (laughs) Yeah, like, this
0: is, like, the main character is, like... Murdering his wife In this yeah. moment But it is just for him Holding a bottle of gin
1: Yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> It's so fucking funny um, Prohibition's a hell of
1: a drug <laughs> Yeah Um. Anyway For stairs F F Takes place on a fucking boat Takes place on a fucking a small, boat Just so people are clear A small boat A
0: very small
1: boat That like fits two people
0: Yeah Four people if you really wanted to squeeze in. Yeah.
1: And that would be like kind of dangerous.
0: Yeah. The
1: boat might capsize. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And there's no other stairs. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I watched and then you decided to rewatch it just because you love this movie so much. It's, I love this movie it's your favorite so movie fucking movie ever. much. <laughs> um, I finally watched Deep Cover. I fucking love this movie.
0: Um, It was good. I fucking love this movie so much.
2: I liked it a
1: lot. I like this movie more than you do, I think. Probably. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a really good movie. Yeah, but uh, if
0: people want to go hear more about that, go to exportaud.io/slash stairwell quality. <laughs> pull up uh whatever episode we also talked about Deep Cover on. Um, yeah. Where
1: well, you gave the entire plot of Deep Cover.
0: Yes. For. No ostensible reason. <laughs> uh, 32. 32.
1: What what else did we talk about on that one? That was the She's Gotta Have It episode. Oh, yeah. You talked about Deep Cover more than She's Gotta Have It. Yes, I absolutely <laughs> did. And was you that... just
0: sat there very patiently
1: yeah. and listened. That was also when we did Kagemusha. I like Kagemusha more than Deep Cover. But Deep Cover is really fucking good.
0: I Okay, I like Kagemusha better than Deep Cover, but that's like two yeah. heavyweights. Like... <laughs>
1: Putting up any movie <laughs> against Kagemusha is kind of <laughs> like there are other movies that can top it, but that's a tough It's it's tough. Yeah. I really fucking love deep cover. Um, I liked it
0: I don't know that I liked it better the second time, but I definitely was like, oh man, this like really solidified my love of this movie. Yeah. Uh how are we
1: feeling on stairs?
0: Like- I want to defer to you on this.
1: Yeah. You did an A last time. I feel like that's appropriate. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the big one's the one, like, towards the, the very, very end of the movie. Yes. It was, based on your summary, it was way later than I thought. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was still, like, towards the very end, but I thought more happened after it. But really, it's like, it's you not... got, like, five minutes to go.
0: The, the But the five minutes after that are just like, oh, wow, some shit happens. Okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, You have, like, the whole... Court scene and yeah, stuff.
0: that that court scene is short, but it, uh, it's impactful.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, it it is basically like a, everything kind of breaks down at the bottom of these stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole like vi- it was a little less homoerotic than I thought, but the the kind of uh, Dubro a little bit gay.
0: Yeah, it's not that homoerotic, but yeah. it's it's there.
1: Yeah. It's it's in that space of, like, there are just lots of, like, very manly men mm-hmm. who uh just kind of, like, do this kind of sexual joking that's mostly about, like, talking about having sex with women. But they do just, like, talk about their, like, sex and dick and balls and stuff. In a yeah. way, sometimes you're just, like... You you sure are on about this. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway. Everything... You know, that friendship breaks down. Yeah. The whole... Everything going on breaks down.
0: It's kind of funny how Jeff Goldblum just stops being in that movie. There's not like a... Like, Lawrence Fishburne's character gets, like, the whole, like... All right, and then he goes to the courtroom, and then he goes to the grave, and he gets, Wait. like, this...
1: Does is, is Jeff Goldblum die? No,
0: he just gets arrested and stops being in the movie. Okay. No, wait, does he die?
1: I thought that he shot him. He shoots they, him. They both shoot.
0: Yes, and I think okay.
1: He, I, think he, he I thought it was implied that he dies.
0: Yes, he dies. He dies. I just misremembered. I, I thought was for like,
1: a, yeah, I, he's not in the movie anymore because he's dead.
0: I <laughs> thought for a second, in my, in my head, I misremembered him getting arrested. And so I was like he's
1: doing the whole like you have the right to remain silent yeah. blah blah blah. Yeah. Um he's like going through the arrest and then similar to Han shot first. Um Jeff Goldblum shoots first showing that he's the bad guy. Yes. And very once, important. And once the he shoots then um Lawrence Fishburne can shoot. Yeah. I think it's well c- also- cinematically being communicated.
0: Also, like you know, legally, that that Lawrence Fishburne yes. now can wash his hands of it.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, nobody else is there in that moment. Yeah, you could. Lots of police shoot first and then say they were shooting. That's true. <laughs> I live true. in Chicago. I see the news stories. That's true. Um, but I mean, what is being communicated there is he is like, in that moment, suddenly going like good cop. Yeah. He's like making that choice <clears throat> in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, just to spoil a little bit of deep cover again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fucking phenomenal movie. Yeah. Looked even better in the
1: Blu-ray. Um, it is... it Again, I like... My Friday today, or like this week, wh- was... Fairly light in terms of a lot of like work stuff I had to focus on. That's how I was able to watch four movies, but um, especially towards the end, I watched Steve Cover at the end of my my shift, mm-hmm. um, and the, I basically had very little to do, and so I was able to actually pay attention. Because the first time that I tried to watch this movie, that a work, little too it just, involved. It moves at a clip that was hard to follow. Yeah, um, unlike Stranger Things, which again is a thing that I can watch while fully focused on work. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one last thing before we get to the movie. Oh, right, which we're is we're recording
0: in like 2 a.m., aren't we? No.
1: It's, it's it's 11:20. It we don't have emails, do we? We don't have emails, and yeah, yeah. Um, so I did finally rewatch uh, "Throw Away Your Books, Rally in the Streets," which is um a, a slightly later film by Tarayama Shuji after he did Pastoro uh, first, or no, earlier, earlier film. Slightly earlier film. This was, I think his first... I think Throw Away Your Books was his first like, feature-length film. He'd done some short films. I'm not sure, because there's one that I think he did earlier that was a short film and then got turned into a, a longer feature. And I don't know if that was before or after this. But anyway, um, I guess some background on Terry Amashuji, Um that will also be useful, I think, when we get to... Pastoral. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think he kind of started more as like poet, writer. Yeah, um, like Wikipedia lists him essays
0: first as a poet, you yes. know, not as a film
1: director. Um, and also like wrote and directed a, a lot of theater stuff. And so I think a lot of his like film stuff comes more out of theater stuff. I didn't realize he had died so young. Yes. Um, and so, uh, yeah, there, there's multiple notable things about like his life. He kind of, I think he like dropped out of school or something. Um, I'm trying to see if this is like fully explained here. Um, but basically he kind of had this like philosophy that permeated a lot of his work of like, you actually learn more from, Like, going out and experiencing the world than you do from school. Mm -hmm. That, like, schools are, like, I think if he went, like, if you talk to him more deeply about this, but it doesn't always permeate this deeply, is, like, schools are about teaching you very specific things that society wants you to know. And that by actually going out into the world, you can learn, like, far better and, and more important things for, like, doing what is what matters to him, which is like a lot of extremely leftist stuff. Mm. Um, the school system is not going to teach you how to be a like radical communist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah. So one of the things, uh, in 1967, he formed a theater troupe. Uh, there was kind of an experimental theater troupe, um, pulled from like carnival stuff. Um, also pulled from like kind of, doing controversial stuff, doing, like, weird play stuff. Um, Unconventional venues, like Streets of Tokyo, which is a thing that comes up in Pastoral, um, I think is also sometimes happening in Throw Away Your Books, Rallying the Streets, which is that sometimes, like, a a thing early on in Throw Away Your Books is uh, you see, like, a police officer the introduction of it is a police officer being like, you can't have this like punching bag here. What are you doing? What's the, <clears throat> the point of this? Cause it's like hung up in the street and she's like saying to the police officer like, Oh, well like people in society need frustrations. And so here's like a, I'm pr- providing a community service where people can take out their frustrations on the punching bag. And then we get shots of the actual punching bag hanging up and like a guy hitting it. And it's like shaped like a giant penis. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but a lot of his work uh, was in this kind of space, and then he started doing films, um, and this was his first big one. Um, his stuff is, I would say, uh, not always extremely, like, narratively linear.
2: Mm. Um,
0: yeah, I would agree with that.
1: Yeah. Um, he's very interested in like images and themes and concepts, um, and exploring those and having multiple levels of what's happening. Um, and Throw Away Your Books is just, I think it's one of his longest ones. Um, and it's based off of a series of essays and there really is almost this like, I don't know if I, episodic doesn't quite fit. But it does, you do get this sense of series of essays where it's like, here's like a bit of the film that this stuff is happening in and it seems to be kind of talking about this idea and then just different things will be happening and characters will persist. Some stuff will persist a little bit, mm-hmm. but for the most part, it is like, no, this is about like, oh, here's a scene that's happening that's like around soccer or something. Mm-hmm. Maybe that will recur. Um, but then... Oh, here we're gonna have like this completely unrelated sequence of like um, having this conversation with this like woman that you're going to as like a prostitute or something. Um, I think compared to Pastoral, this movie more directly addresses stuff that seems to be going on with queerness. Although I think you can read some of that into Pastoral as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there are multiple like trans or drag performance stuff um, that happens in Throw Away Your Books. Um, And I would say the, like... For me, the core ethos of the film is about saying, like... Things like books and films and, like, a lot of this media that you consume is not... It is not inherently bad, But if your approach is to like purely just consume these things to like enrich your mental life Mm -hmm. or to entertain yourself or whatever, um, that this is like a a thing that is not actually supporting like what is important to him, which is political action. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what you need to do is go ahead and read the books, but then throw away your books and rally in the streets Mm -hmm. is sort of the core of it. Um, And so it is a movie that is in many ways, like, eschewing and intentionally breaking conventions that you would expect from cinema. Mm -hmm. Because it does not want to be a film that is there, that is going to, like, lull you into just following it along or being entertained by it. It is a film that wants to continually, like, frustrate you and challenge challenge you and, like, push you to think about things differently. Um, The... The very beginning of the film is like a a good maybe five minutes of just black screen with like some vague in the distant crowd sounds uh and just like that's it and then suddenly it cuts to the the main um character on the screen in the black void being like nothing's gonna happen mm-hmm it's just a black screen. Why are you sitting around waiting? Like nothing's (laughs) happened yet. (laughs) Um, and then stuff finally starts happening, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really fantastic film. I think I like pastoral better because it feels a little bit more focused on a specific thing, you know? Um, Pastoral has, like, its key themes that it's exploring, whereas Throw Away Your Books, rally in the Streets is just kind of all over over the place. There's tons of stuff that it's exploring, and there's, like, kind of this key returning thing of, like, oh, the people who are the intellectuals who are talking about all the books they read seem the most out of touch with what's going on, things like that. But there's also just, like, there's so much stuff being explored that, um it kind of, it's hard for me to like really summarize what it is or what it's doing beyond that. Yeah. Other than that, I just highly recommend seeing it, especially if people enjoyed pastoral. Um, but yeah. Um, and then I was trying to remember the stairs in here. I think I gave it a D plus, um, the main stairs that I remember, nobody goes up or down it, but there's just a part where some people are, are smoking weed. Outside, um and there are stairs in the background. And it's a good shot because I mean, there's stairs and people smoking. <laughs> That's stairwells, baby. <maybe. laughs> but it's a D plus. Like it, yeah, it doesn't amount to much. Um, but yeah, I feel like if we talk about pastoral, that will get it. That'll get a little bit more into. Yeah. Um, like what is it? So the the other big thing here is uh Ikuni when he was making utena uh was clearly had watched a lot or was currently watching a lot of teriyama films <sighs> um teriyama is all over there's in a weird way some stuff from teriyama that i think has influenced on like a, some conventions in anime broadly mm-hmm. um i think there's sometimes like uh a thing that anime will do where people are talking and then like shit is happening in the background that's just like a home like happens all the time in Teriyama films. Where you will like have some sort of conversation that is like meaningful while also actions are happening kind of in the background mm-hmm. that I think there's a style of anime that pulls off of that. Um it is often going to be a little bit more of this like intellectual or like is like dealing with concepts directly as like part of what the anime is, but um I feel like it comes in a lot. I feel like in Japan, there's a type of art film that takes as its, uh, as its like, formula or its, like, reference point, Teriyama. And again, Utena, it's fucking everywhere. <laughs> it's to such a degree where... Uh, I've seen some interviews where things are, um, you know, it's on some, like, Tumblr or forum or stuff where, like, the exact stuff is kind of questionable because mm-hmm. who knows what's the source who's translating it. Yeah. How accurate is the translation or people are just making shit up. Yeah. Um, but there have been things that, that claim that there's a hand pointing that shows up in Utena. Um, it's like this white drawn hand in multiple things. Um, and there's like been interviews where he said that it was specifically pulled from pastoral. Um, I think the biggest piece of evidence that like, Utena is very directly pulling from uh, Teriyama Shuji's work is uh, Utena's soundtrack is by J.A. Caesar, Mm -hmm. um, who basically scored all of Teriyama's films. Yeah. Um, And there are, especially more so in Throw Away Your Books than in Pastoral, there are a few tracks that are just straight up like... Utena. Yeah. You played me one. Like, he just, like, like, pointed out, like, he just was like, okay, you know that song that you did in Throw Away Your Books? I want that. (laughs) Just (laughs) give me that. Um, A little bit more polish, please. (laughs) A little less punk rock, but basically (laughs) that. (laughs) Um, Well, should we talk about pastoral? Yeah. Um, One of the best movies ever made. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty good. I'm a lot hotter on this movie than you are, I
0: think. <laughs> um, I don't want to sound like I'm cold on this movie, because in some ways I think it is like the ultimate realization of everything that you and I want in cinema,
1: Ooh-hoo. you
0: know? <laughs> um, okay. Heavy air quotes here. Plot summary, just for anybody who didn't watch the movie. Um, do you want me
1: to do this? No, or... no, no. I've got it. Okay. I've got it.
0: I'll do it in three sentences. I'll give you five. We open on various vignettes of life in rural Japan that seemingly do not make any sense.
1: You arguable exactly how much sense they make, but... Sentence two. At some point we zoom out
0: and Terry Shuji is screening everything we have seen who is yes.
1: basically playing Terry Amishi. Yes. Who in the film is just like referred to as like me. I think like in the credits is me. Yes. Um and is the the director of the movie that we've been watching who is now in the movie but is an actor playing. But then I'll, there's a part where he says I was born on this date blah 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 and it's like Terry Shuji's birthday. Sentence 2. <laughs> <laughs> after those, after
0: most uh, Sentence two: After some vignettes, we zoom out to see Shui- Teriyama is screening what we have just seen for a small audience of producers, and he's talking to one of his like filmmaker buddies. He's like, "Yeah, I don't really know where I'm going with this. I don't. It's not kind of quite coming together." Sentence three: The guy he's talking to is like they they have this sort of like philosophical conversation about the nature of dreams, and this guy he's talking to is like, what if you went back in time and killed your grandmother? Would you be the same person that you are now? Um, sentence four, Teriyama gets um, really invested in this idea and journeys into the film that he is making to encourage this past version of himself to kill his mother. Meanwhile, other weird sort of nonsensical... Nonsensical, heavy air quotes. Things happen
1: from a purely like normal plot narrative. Yes, linear plot. Yes, it is. I feel like it does get a little bit more grounded because we have like this yeah. tent pole. Everything's around, but it is still like things so- are happening in a dream space, not in a yeah uh, reality space for most of this movie. So, like the thing that I am cold on this movie about, right? Yeah.
0: And I, I, I think this movie's fucking phenomenal. Wait,
1: do you want to do sentence five or do you want me to do no, sentence five? I, I finished. Go. go. Um, if- I mean, I think the key final part here is sentence five. Oh, right. His younger self does not want to kill his mom. He de- determines that he is going to go kill his mom from his past himself. And when he shows up to kill her, they just sit down to eat and then the walls fall away and it is revealed that they are eating on the streets of Tokyo and it is a theater performance
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and the credits roll over it yeah
0: that was that was important thank you yeah um i could not have done that in three sentences i guess anyway um so i think this movie's phenomenal yeah the thing that was a sort of a struggle with this movie for me was like i think in so many ways like everything we talk about on this podcast of like it's just images. It's just fucking images. You can put whatever on the screen. This movie yeah. is that. It, it is just images, you know, in, in large parts. Um, and it has this sort of, like, dream logic, and it has this sort of, like... These things sort of make sense because you're, you're sort of drawing the connections rather than the movie drawing these connections for you.
2: Yeah. You know?
0: The thing that then makes it sort of hard is you're watching... Sometimes you watch a movie and you want, like, a protagonist and a conflict. And, a uh, like, scene A happens and there is a complication, so scene B happens. And then as a consequence of scene B, scene C happens. That's not what this movie is doing. Yeah. You know? This movie is very intentionally uninterested in yes. doing that. Yes. Which just means that sometimes... I'm like, this movie is really boring and slow, but I mean that as a compliment because I I don't have that thing, that like sort of narrative hook that is like pulling me through the movie and making me get from one place to the next. And it makes it kind of boring and slow, but also who cares? That's uh, not every movie needs that. Not every movie needs to be that. Like yeah. this movie is interested in so much like more interesting, more artful, more whatever things that are you know, super fucking compelling. This movie's fucking incredible.
1: Yeah. This movie's amazing. Um, The other thing with this is, one, I'd watched a lot of experimental cinema when I watched this for the first time. Mm. This was the first Terry Amashuji film that I ever watched. Um, And I was really taken with it. Mm-hmm. But also, I think a lot of his films benefit from watching them again. Yeah. Um, Where you have a clearer sense of the shape of things. Mm-hmm. Um. I sort of knew from you telling me about Pastoral that,
0: like, we're getting through these vignettes at the start, and I was like, I know that at some point the director is going to show up. And I didn't remember what was going to happen with the director, but I knew the director of the movie was going to enter the movie at some point. Yeah. And so, in a sense, I was, like, waiting for that to happen so that I could sort of know and, and yeah, like now if I was watching it again, I would know, oh, he's going to show up after the scene. Yeah. Um,
1: Which is like, honestly, halfway through.
0: Yeah. It's like farther in than I think it's going to be. Um, and then I sort of kind of know the things that are going to happen after. And I think that's
1: going to like help me enjoy the film more the next time I see it, you yeah. know?
0: Um,
1: And it's also a thing where. I think once you have like a clearer sense of the thing, it becomes easier to think about how this is a movie about this process of like trying to sort through your uh-huh. childhood, and in many ways, like the traumatic parts of your childhood, and that the result is this, anytime you do that, the result is always this very messy thing, mm-hmm. and it is also this thing that you are constantly like to some degree revising or reframing or rethinking or saying like you are changing the story to some degree yeah it's just a like part of the way that memory works mm. in such a degree that when he first decides to go back you literally see the final two scenes that you saw of, of like the film that he did but they're different now yeah um he's like oh no it wouldn't make sense for that woman to have gone with like the character who's child me that's mm-hmm. not what happened yeah um, this is almost like wish fulfillment thing that's not what happens yeah Um, and you like see those scenes play out differently
0: I may have talked about this before like um, <clears throat> I had a difficult childhood in a lot of ways Um, yeah. and I have a thing that happens to me sometimes where like oh like I can't totally distinguish like this memory I'm having from the place that I'm at in the present and so in a lot of ways this movie feels very real to that experience of just like Oh you just are like You're here you're making your movie You're doing whatever and you walk up the stairs Into your apartment and like there's your past Like literally looking back at you Yeah, You know and like that just feels Very real
1: Yeah. (laughs) And here's this like whole thing where I'm going Through my head of like I'm trying to Like decide for myself if I would If I would like kill my mother In my memory Mm -hmm. And then it's just you're just on the street Of the city that you live in
0: Yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he literally, he's walking home, and he's having this thought, and, and, and he's on the streets of Tokyo, sort of having this thought, and then you cut to him entering his apartment building, and he's like, comes face to face with a character from the film he's making.
1: That is his younger self.
0: And then this whole next part of the film is is bookended by him on the streets of Tokyo thinking about this in, in a black and white scene, and then at the end, in the full color, like the past and present become one yeah um, the Him walls on... fall away, and he he's on the streets again,
1: you yeah, know. and like characters from the film are on the streets, yes, doing like again, I'm sure that this was just shot as like weird, unconventional theater performance thing of we literally have the, all this set up on the streets of of Tokyo, yeah, um. We have like we got some sort this of guy coming to in shoot. to to you know kill his mom and then just sitting down and eating, and then the walls fall away and then we have actors who are on the streets who are like running around, doing things for a little bit. Yeah, and then it just kind of fades into the regular city people walking by, being like, "What the hell is going on here?" Um, also, it
0: has to be noted. Um, I I have not seen as much, like, experimental, like, really, like, out there stuff as I think you have. Um, But I've seen, like, some of the, like, you know, the quote-unquote classics. I've seen Eraserhead. I've seen, um, like, El Topo and The Holy Mountain. Um, I've seen other things whose names are not coming to my mind. This is not, like, my first time watching experimental cinema, helps a lot that Teriyama is just better at this than 99% of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but like the images that he is creating are just more engaging than like a lot of the other like experimental cinema. Because a lot of the experimental cinema you'll see is either students or people who did not grow past like the um that part of their student phase. You know, I think yeah. um Lynch gets better as he gets more into narrative cinema and takes what he learned from experimental cinema into that narrative stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, not that this isn't narrative, but this is much
1: looser narrative cinema. than. Um, and I think he's, I think part of what benefits Tara Shuji is that he is coming at this from like, he is not a film student. Mm who is deciding to make experimental movies because he's seen weird experimental movies or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or he has these ideas. He is somebody who started as just, like, a poet and essay writer who is, like, getting more and more into, like, I'm trying to explore my ideas through various forms of, like, various media. I'm doing theater. I'm doing, like, all these other things. Uh And... You know, Throw Away Your Books, Rally in the Streets, was based on a series of essays that he wrote. Yeah. Pastoral, To Die in the Country, is based off of a, a poetry book of his. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very easy to watch, I think, both of those movies and see their roots. Uh, Throw Away Your Books is so much of, like, people, like, talking about theory in this, like, very essayistic way, mm-hmm. even as it is, like, an experimental film. And this really is, like, the images that might exist in a poetry book but right. you're just seeing them visually. Yeah. You are seeing, like, I would say some of the, the big key themes that I always latch onto when I watch this. Um, one of the biggest ones is this idea of like the clock in time. Mm-hmm. Um, it first gets introduced as the clock in the family home, which is broken so that it is constantly chiming. It is like constantly saying it is, you know, the hour or whatever. It's just going nonstop. Um, and then we haven't talked about the, one of the other like really evocative images happen is when they go to like the, the circus basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was actually, this is where I was going to go
0: next too. So this yeah. is great.
1: Um, and the circus being this thing that is like, I think it has the most suggestion of like queerness happening there. Um, the most explicit sexuality happens in that space both in like this metaphorical way where there's the the like fat woman who has a fat suit on uh-huh. that she needs inflated constantly and there are like these men who will pump her up um and she gets like left by her husband um and nobody else wants to inflate her anymore mm. um and
0: no one else is as good as inflating her as her husband is also yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and so there's, like, obvious sexual yeah. metaphor happening yeah. there. But also there's a part where he just stumbles into a tent where some people wearing, like, weird masks are, like, having sex. Right, yes. And you just, like, see like people like, having sex. There's, like, screen. weird thinly veiled metaphor, and then there's also just the thing that's yes. happening. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the things that comes up there is there's a conversation that, you know, the younger self of the director, um, who, again, in, at the home, there's the single clock... And it's, like, broken and constantly chiming. Um, And then here, people have watches, and he's like, watches? Like, my mother won't let me have a watch because we have a single clock in the family home, and that's our time. How do you, here in the circus, know what time it is if everyone's watch is slightly different? Mm -hmm. Like, your watch might say that it is 12... 32 and then other person says it's 1233 how do you know what time it is Mm -hmm. if you don't if you don't have the one clock that's everyone's clock and she just kind of laughs being like this is what even is this question like it's just like the time doesn't matter that in that way to the circus people right to most people it doesn't matter if my clock is technically one minute faster right right yeah but like at that moment he hasn't like he hasn't come to that But it's this representation of, like, (sighs) a thing that is breaking with, like, the order of the family. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And that for these people, it is just so broken that, like, the question of, Mm. like, why don't you have a family is just, like... (laughs) I live in a circus, like, (laughs) what the fuck are you asking me? (laughs) Yeah. Um... And so I'm, then it also, yeah. when they have their conversations later, because there's, this is one of the most absolutely Utenna parts, which is they're just like sitting playing chess and talking. Oh my God, yes. Um, and there's just shit happening constantly in the background. Um, including a part where a man shouts at you, the person, uh, watching the movie, that everybody will die, you two will someday die. <laughs> 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 um, but anyway, um, And one of the things that they are talking about is, like, oh, the boy asks, when did you get your first watch? Uh, And wants to know that. Um, And they, like, talk about watches and, you know, eventually being able to get a watch, which, again, I think, like, has this symbol around, like, the order of the family home, but then also this is a movie that is so concerned with, like, time and the passage of time as well. Um, So... I hope people are enjoying Lim coming in and out. Yeah, Lim is joining us and then leaving and then joining us and leaving. Um, um... I was... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Well, that was was the one key thing. There are other ones I can say, but I don't want to... Um, for me, the thing that I wanted to
0: talk about with the circus was, um... I find, like, the use of color in this movie so interesting. Um in the ways that like you go to the circus and you go to a lot of other scenes. Um, and the color is this like kaleidoscopic thing. There's like, there's like a weird trick he's doing that I can't quite pin down where there's like a yellow tint to like this, like fifth of the frame. And then there's like a purple tint over here and there's a blue tint over here and there's an orange tint. And like, these, like, little, literally, like, it's supposed to look like a kaleidoscope, like, different, like, tints on the frame itself. I don't think it's being done in post. It, it, it might be, but I wouldn't understand how you did it in post, I guess. Yeah,
1: me thinking, because doing it, like, in the dying way mm-hmm. doesn't make sense, because being able to perfectly dye each frame where it's not, like, blobbing around right? Yeah, just be impossible. So my guess is that it's probably, it's happening in post, but it is probably... Um, almost like doing gels, but where you are developing it and you're overlaying colors over it while you're doing... Right, yeah. Like, if you have, like, a negative and then you're running the negative through, but in the the thing that you're using to, like, create...
0: Right. Or I could even maybe imagine that it's, like, maybe a cell animation thing where there's just, like, a weird... Like, a, uh, they do a cell that has, like, a... like all these different tints on it. And then you just sort of run the film under that, you know?
1: Yeah. Where you're, but yeah, it's either a thing that's happening in post-production where you have like a frame that has all of it. And then you're like running the other frames under it. So that's overlaying on top, or it's perhaps something that you put right in front of the lens while you were shooting. Yeah.
0: Either way, it's a really cool effect. And it's like, so you have those scenes in the circus that have that effect, You have some other scenes, um, like, there's lots of shots of the Scary Mountain is, like, a place um, that has, like, the color is very, looks real, but very, like, more saturated than normal, and there will be sort of unreal elements, like, you'll see, like, a a pond that looks, like, pink, and you're like, why is that? I think that, I think
1: I'm looking at water, why is this water
0: pink that I'm looking at, you know? Um.
1: Ano scribbling notes, red water,
0: <laughs> <laughs> for sure. And then you go, um, you go to the present day, and it's in black and white. Um, and you go to the family home, and it is like this very just like natural color palette, mm-hmm. you know, um, like it does not look oversaturated in the same way. And so, um, like like color gets tied to place, and, and as we've talked about, like. Place sort of gets tied to memory of, like, I have these memories of of my mother, and they look this way to me. And I have these memories of the circus, and they look this way to me. And it's so interesting um, that, like, the present gets, like, painted in black and white there, too, I think. Um, And I thought I was building to a point, but I maybe have lost track of it. Um, But, um, yeah, I just find the way that, like... Different sorts of like moments of memory are, are and places associated with those moments just get these different color palettes that I think sort of like give you some insight into how Teriyama is like looking back at these memories or how yeah. the director of the film in fiction is looking back at these memories, perhaps. Yeah.
1: Well, it is interesting, too, because I think in common cinematic language, the past is black and white, and the present is color. Yeah, Because absolutely. we think of old movies as black and white, and so we depict the past. Yeah. Or in more modern movies, the past is sepia tone, or the past is technicolor, or whatever. Right, yeah. You know? Um, um, these, like, attempts to replicate old, like, older film stock to to represent the past, and this is just like, no, the present is black and white and the past is whatever fucking color I want it to be.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and like, for me, it almost has this effect where it feels like, um, it, to me, it feels like the present is black and white because it's like what I'm experiencing right now. And like, I'm almost sort of like limited in how much I can experience right now. Like, right now, um, I just know what's directly in front of me. And then maybe when I remember this scene later, those sort of colors will fill in almost, is how it feels in a lot of ways.
1: Well, I think it also captures a certain amount of that feeling you have when you're like really in your head about your memories, Mm -hmm. where that is what has more. Yeah. That is what has like more space in your brain. And those things
0: maybe appear more vividly and all these sorts of things. Um, Yeah, the...
1: There's a lot of... There's just a lot of shit going on here. I mean, the other thing is, like, there's a lot of stuff around mothers. Mm -hmm. Which, the the clear one is, like, the mother in the home. Mm -hmm. Um, The father is dead, which is true to his life. His dad died when he was 10. Um, And... But then there's also the, like, kind of competing story of... There's the mom who has the baby out of wedlock. um, And in the first part, before... There's the sequence where we see the like director of the film talking about it. Um, everyone's like, "Oh, what a beautiful baby!" Blah blah blah. And when he goes back, he's like, "In addition to to changing this, other woman wouldn't have run away with young me. Why would she?" And we get like more of that plot. Mm-hmm. The other big thing that that gets changed is, of course, no no one in this small city, uh, the small like rural town, is going to be like. Oh, look at this cute little bastard child! They're gonna be like, "What a horrible bastard child! You must kill it." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then once, she, once the mom finally does kill the child after like great torment and everything, then they're like, "Oh, can you believe that she would kill her child?" Yeah. Um,
0: that's that's fucking real as shit. Yeah. That, <laughs> <laughs> um, but that is that is like. That is, like, rural fucking, like,
1: living right yeah. there. <laughs> um, but then we, you're also getting this, like... uh, In a way where, again, so much stuff is happening here that is, like... It is hard for me to fully, like... To summarize it and give a full take on it is to, like, diminish the complexities that are happening into the film mm. into just, like, my solitary interpretation mm-hmm. uh so in some ways i feel like the best i can do is to point out like look at these connections that i'm seeing yeah where it's like okay so much of the second half hinges on can i go can i kill the mother of my memory mm-hmm. which has all of these there's like the literal time paradox but it's not really interested in that it's interested in like okay here's who i am in the present who I am in the present is shaped by all of my experiences, which include all of these like traumatic experiences or these difficult experiences that I had with my family. Mm -hmm. If I, if I just erase those memories from myself, am I I even myself anymore? Yeah. To like, to what degree do those experience have those experiences created a person that I actually like now or that I want to be now or, or, would I really be better now if I was able to erase those or not have those or not have been affected by them? Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the midst of all of that being stuck in this, like, can I kill the mother of my memory? And will that change who I am? Um, we also see the mother who can so easily, I mean, not easily, but can still actually finally go through with killing the child. Uh-huh. Um, we, you get the mother who like has to then debate, can I kill my child? hmm And the, what the child comes to, what the director comes to, seems to be, I can't kill my mom. hmm And what the mom comes to is, I can kill my child. Right. Um, And seems to be a different person because of it. hmm You know, there's the part where he then meets her later, and she's gone to Tokyo, and seems to be, like, so much happier, and uh, unaffected by everything. Yeah. In the way that she once was. Yeah. Um... And speaking as a a trans person with uh, some sometimes difficult relations with my family. Mm -hmm. um, It kind of sometimes does feel like it's far easier (laughs) for a mom to kill their child than it is for me to kill my mom.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like
0: to to sort of like tie into um, a broader point that you were making there is just like. I think so much of the power of this movie is, like, I watched this, and I sort of made all these associations in my head. But, like, these are just the associations that I'm making, and I think, like, any of our listeners could go watch the movie and just be like, Autumn has no idea what the fuck you're talking about. I made all these associations that are, like, sort of in direct conflict with everything Autumn just said and everything Nia just said. And like, I think the movie just is like giving you as a, as a viewer of the film space to like explore your own memories and how you feel about those memories. And maybe you come to different conclusions about his memories because you're sort of bringing yourself to the movie as much as like, you know, the movie is presenting itself to you.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, Believe it or not, less abrasive of a movie than throw away your books. Slow and boring, but fucking fantastic. Yeah. Fucking incredible. Um, throw away your books is... It's longer. I feel like some of the stuff... There are some stuff that f- feels like, oh, you just could have cut this down. Um, and There's also some stuff that just feels more immediately... electric. Like, the weird part about throw away your books, rally in the streets, is there's a little bit of, like, sweet, sweet back in it. Uh-huh. Like, there's just a, there's literally a part where he is, like, running down train tracks while just, like, J.A. Caesar is just going fucking nuts on an electric guitar, and <laughs> it's just, like, shots of him running, and I'm just like, that's, man, that's Sanima, baby. That is this... Like, this is what. <laughs> is this movie?
0: I think I like Sweet Sweetbacks better than this movie, but it's, we're splitting hairs. They're both two great movies.
1: Yeah. Um, I will say Throw Away Your Books is just the absolute most I've ever watched a movie that actually, like, finally succeeds at being like, this movie is less important than what you do after you're done watching this movie. Yeah. I feel like a lot of movies will will gesture at that, but it is one of the most, like, actually succeeding at this political statement of, like, no, you literally need to go out and protest. You know, it, it, it is a movie that is daring you at any moment to just stop fucking watching the movie and just go out and like riot. <laughs> you say a
0: lot of other movies try that. It's not as bad as a lot of video games try to do that. and yes. ours,
1: <laughs> I
0: can't even finish the sentence. It's
2: so
1: funny. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, this is like. Might end up on my top four in Letterbox. Yeah, I love this movie a lot.
0: How do you feel about the stairs in this movie? Um, I mean, the so main... there's the the main one, right? Yeah. Um, it is we've talked about before, he enters like his apartment building, and he's walking up the stairs, and then sees like this sort of representation of his past self at the top of the stairs.
1: Yeah. Um, I would say it's a stairwell scene that is like very thematically important, Mm -hmm. really landing on that, but you barely see the stairs. You could hardly see the stairs. You know, he's going upstairs because it was following him, but you do not see the stairs.
0: Yes. You see just enough of the stairs to understand there are stairs here that he is walking up now. And the camera Mm -hmm. is also walking up these stairs.
1: Yeah. But more of it is the actual just movement. Yeah. Than seeing an ornate stairwell. For that, I maybe want to give
0: it like either a C plus or a B minus, maybe, because like, you hit the thematic part, which is, in some ways, just as important as the actual stare itself. Yeah. So so maybe C plus for not being able to see it, or maybe B minus because the thematics are so strong. Um, yeah.
1: I'm like, what did I rate this before? Did I watch this? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Right there.
1: Oh, yeah. You gave it a C last time. I'm gonna say C plus. Yeah, I feel like C plus. Um a C is definitely in that territory of like, uh I don't wanna land on us. sometimes those like plus minus Yeah if I'm a little on the fence is a little harder to do. Uh, yeah if we're not talking through it. Um Well yeah, we didn't ask for questions, so um the next if you have any questions about Terry Shuji for me, send them in and we'll talk about them yeah. next time, maybe, if we have time. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to have... We have a lot of recordings next yes. week. Yes. So,
0: so um, next movie is The Umbrellas of Cherbourg by Jacques Demy. Um, we... Okay, so in theory, we, we've talked about this. Like, we really want to try to watch The whole by Simon Long, too. Yes. This week... We are going to be uh, guesting on another podcast on Thursday. We're going to be doing Ghost Divers
1: on Friday. Um, Saturday is no good. Yeah. We might be able to watch a movie or record Saturday, but I, I don't think we can do both. Yes. We'll see. Yes. We'll see how it goes.
0: But And then, like, you know, I want to have some time to myself somewhere in my week. I want to have time to spend with my wife somewhere in the week. And so, <laughs> like... Here's, here's what I'll say is maybe like the Umbrellas of Cherbourg episode ends up going up on like a Thursday or a Friday instead of our normal Tuesday slot because like yeah. we we find the time but it's just a little late. So
1: yeah just a heads up. Like maybe we have the time Saturday where we watch the movie and then we record a little bit later. Yeah. Like it, it,
0: it'll, it'll be up in that week. It just might be a couple days late and then that yeah. will mess up the next recording but we'll Cross that bridge when we get there. Yeah,
1: we won't. We won't have Divey and yeah to do at the same time. Oh, so I wasn't was gonna little... to
0: say it, but yeah, we're gonna be on. Yeah.
1: We're gonna be on. <laughs> it's gonna be movies. So,
0: um, slash this, like, stairwells <laughs> slash crossover. Thing. I haven't.
1: I haven't gotten to the end of um the latest, but they do briefly. Allude to this coming out.
0: That's where I was like, "Oh, I'm just going to say we're guessing on something else," and then you just said so.
1: I mean, I guess we can cut it if we need to cut it. Uh, is fine, this a fine. surprise? It's fine. No, is this a surprise? No. I'm going to go in and I'm going to beep every time that we say the end of the podcast. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um. I'll also beep when we say the other things that would yeah. give it away. The other. Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah. 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 Fine. I'm that'll, fine with that'll that. That'll be funny. That'll be funny. Um. Beep will end up laughing at this when they listen to it.
1: <laughs> um but yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Um anyway,
0: also all that to say that if we don't end up getting to the hole by <laughs> by the time we get to the Umbrellas of Cherbourg episode,
1: you know why. Yeah. I will say um I haven't gotten any recommendations for musicals that I should watch. Uh-huh. Feel free to send those my way. You can send them to exportaudiopodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, and then Autumn will have to forward them to me because I don't have access to that email. Um, you can also just tweet at me. Mm-hmm. At Fox Mom um, I guess we're doing vlogs now. I've fallen into doing this. Yeah. Finish your plugs. So, yeah, tweet at me, Fox Mom, Nia, your musical recommendations, uh, with the awareness that uh, Carousel is the most wretched thing on the earth to me. Um, and so, like, that style of musical I'm not too fond of. But also, specifically the movie Carousel, I hate with a fiery passion. Is this
0: your Wizard of Oz?
1: Maybe. <laughs> the whole... So... Someone was like no you're misunderstanding it the point is that nice guys finish last but uh there's an entire song about what i think the point of carousel is where she lays this out plainly and i think it is just truly the ethos of carousel which is that if you love your man well enough it won't hurt when he beats you and so if it hurts when your man is beating you that just means that you don't love him enough stand by your man <laughs> i fucking hate carousel so much it's one of the worst Goddamn, musicals I've ever seen in my life, but like that kind of style, like a Music Man, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, anything with by like Rodgers and Hammerstein. Mm -hmm. Don't don't suggest that stuff to me. That's not gonna. And if it's like too close to that, that's just not gonna. Yeah, I got too much of that when I did sets for theater. Yeah. Um, you can also go listen to Ghost Divers um, by going to exportodd.io slash Ghost Divers. And you are going to be on and doing Serial Experiments Lane. That is yep. what we are recording, but that was not going to go out for a couple months. Yeah. What is going to be going out soon is the start of our Baccano episodes, uh, where we had friend of the pod, uh, John Charles Holmes, come on and talk about it.
0: I don't know and anything about Lane. I just... I needed to push myself to watch it because I know it is a classic and I know I'd probably enjoy it. So I was like, yeah. ah, get me on Ghost Divers for the 12 episode show.
1: Uh, yeah. It is a show that I remember liking a lot, but I remember very little of the plot. I remember like main key points, but not enough to fill out 13 episodes. So yeah.
0: um, there's a doing, lot I've forgotten. We're we doing six episodes for the first one or seven?
1: Six for the first one and okay. then seven. Uh, Bacchano, the Bacchano episodes are so funny to me because the first, I think I've said this on another podcast, but the first discussion episode, I'm just like, I'm not sure about this, but there's a lot of stuff that it's like exploring. There's all these themes, but I don't really know exactly what they're doing with them. Um, I really like the like comic relief of these like two characters, but like some of this stuff feels weird and self-serious. And then in the second half, I'm like, Oh, all the weird self-serious stuff was a joke about self-serious anime. <laughs> the whole joke of this is to have, be you know how in like a a shonen anime, um, it's like about like basketball, and literally every single person in this world cares about basketball, mm-hmm. or it's about like a card game, like it's like Yu-Gi-Oh! On motorcycles, and literally every single fucking person in this world cares about Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah. On motorcycles? It could be about, like, tying straw wrappers to, like, <laughs> make little patterns. And literally everybody in the world would care about that. On motorcycles? <laughs> yeah. Um, Baca knows that, but what everybody in the world cares about, what everyone's just, like, completely obsessed about and is, like, trying to compete to be the best at is just killing people and loving killing people and just, like, enjoying the thrill of killing people. Um, and then it becomes a big joke because it's also a world with people who are immortal and then you just kill them and they just go and sleep back together and they're alive again. Um, and so it just becomes funny because you've got people who are like, I love to kill so much. And then you've got people who are like, I've, I've been killed so many times. It doesn't even hurt anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it just gets funny. And they tricked me because I thought that the two comic relief characters who are the most obviously comedic, that that was like the one comedy part, but no, it's all funny. Hmm. So. You can find me
0: on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. All the podcasts by going to exportodd.io You should go listen to Hot Singles um, <clears throat> which you can get early by giving us a dollar a month or you can get Pop Town Funk uh, podcast that my wife and I do. About all sorts of bullshit. Really?
1: Marvel movies. Yeah, kind of. Disney movies.
0: Next time we're watching a DC movie, thank you.
1: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's mostly about Disney movies and then occasionally uh, movies that are trying to be like Disney movies.
0: I would say that the Linda Carter Wonder Woman television that's pilot true, film that's true, that's is true. not trying to be like a Disney film because well, Disney films at the time were a different It's not trying thing. to be like a modern Disney film. Yes. <laughs> anyway, I haven't actually seen that yet, so I'm excited to get around through it.
3: I'm
1: very sleepy, so we're going to end this
0: podcast now.
1: You got to say the word. Okokoro is real, Okokoro is real.
3: I wow.
2: 僕が人の家のさきんたら君の
1: What are you doing? Just sitting here listening to the sound of traffic outside my apartment. The podcast is over. Go out on the street yourself.